Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. Oh my. How are you doing? Great. Doing Good. great. How have you been? I am tired. I finished tired. my German class today. Finished? Like, mm-hmm. are you, you're, you're saying you're done with it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I finished the whole thing. Old thing's over. You learned German in a month. Boom. That's simple. That's pretty impressive. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, now I, I'm, I still have to schedule my proficiency exam. This Friday, I'm getting a book called Theological German, uh, which will theoretically, um, you know, give me things to study for my proficiency exam, like, like common theological words and phrases that are in German. So I'll be. If able I to had that. to read a book called Theological German, the only thing I would be studying would be the inside of my eyelids. <laughs> well. We can't all be we can't all be scholars, Matt. Yeah, I know. God, it's terrible. Hey, uh, I have some humbling information about my oh. last week. Please. So, um, I went to Triangle Tech for their advanced placement classes mm-hmm. on last Tuesday, mm-hmm. and it was me and six other students that were qualified to take the advanced placement classes. Mm-hmm. Um. The first portion was all math mm-hmm. and we all went down into the room and we sat down and they said, okay, you have three hours to complete this go. And it, and they didn't give us any calculators or anything. So it was all pencil paper. Off you go. First question was a nightmare. It was all yeah. algebra stuff. Uh, four of the seven of us got up and left. <laughs> They're just like, I believe that. Yeah. So I stayed, I stayed with, the other two students, both of which had just graduated high school, mm-hmm. um, none of us passed it. We needed a seventy-five. We needed a seventy-five That's to pass nice. it. Uh, the one guy that stayed got a sixty-seven. The girl that stayed got a sixty-nine. I got a seventy-one. So none of us passed that. Portion. That sucks. That's the second portion was all about computers, and it was in the afternoon. Now, since the other four had just got up and left, they were gone. So there was only three of us to take the second portion. Mm-hmm. The first one, uh, the first task that was given was like you had like 45 minutes to do like a form letter, like a business letter, right? Using Microsoft Word. They gave you the margins. They, they gave you specifications as to how far the things should be spaced and blah, 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 blah. All of which I was familiar with. 20 minutes, I was done. It was fine. Second section was all Microsoft Excel, Ooh. which I have only used in passing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I didn't know how to get the computer to, to, I mean, I knew what I wanted it to do. I just didn't know how to tell it to do that because I didn't right. know how to program Microsoft Excel. So I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm done. Can't do that section. Um, I, I made it look good. Like I made sure. it like the printout looked correct, but it was mm-hmm. like when they were looking at the computer programming aspect of it they're like yeah you didn't do any of this and i was like yeah no. <laughs> I, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't i didn't do it yeah. do yeah. they're like well didn't you have microsoft excel in high school i was like dude i graduated in 1997 no right <laughs> i didn't have microsoft excel didn't. In <laughs> <laughs> then they did this portion of math where they give you a, a, a graph cal- graphing calculator which i had oh. never used before 
And the other two students seemed to be really happy about that. And I was looking at this thing like it was like a communicator off of Star Trek, right? I'm, right. I'm just staring at it like, what, what do I do with this? And mm-hmm. and the, the one kid, the one boy, his name was Nick. He says, oh, these are like really old. These came out in like 2007. I'm like, fucker, I graduated in 97. Okay, <laughs> like, I've never seen one of these before. So that was a little rough too. None of us passed that. Either. So um, it looks like I'll be going to school all day, <laughs> but uh, that's okay because I clearly know what I don't know now. <laughs> that's true. That's fair. And, I, and if I'm being honest, it, I mean, those, those, those tests were really, really hard. And I think that they're designed to make you have to go all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair because hey, nobody, yeah. nobody passed it. So. Sure. Hey, brother, I, I'd have been. Are you kidding? Like, there would have been no chance I'd have passed any of that. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm garbage at math. I'm. I also don't know Excel. You know, like it's just. Well, I, the frustrating part for me was like I've always been able to like kind of figure things out, but I've never been able to show my work. Right. So yeah, sure. a lot of the reason, a lot of the reasons I missed stuff on the on the first portion of the math part was because I wasn't properly documenting my my work right so like the first question the first question was like you have 100 feet or yeah you have 100 feet of chain link fence right Mm -hmm. and you're going to build a rectangular uh pen with this 100 feet of chain link fence and you want the width to be two and a half times plus five of the length Okay. What are your dimensions? So obviously this is an algebraic formula, right? You got to fill in your, well, I'm, I'm thinking in my brain, okay, I got four sides. So you know, plus five on each side, that takes me from uh, 100 to 90. Um, what's going to work on the left and right? Um, let's see, 30 and 30, 70, or 30 and 30, 60, which would be 20 and 20, but that doesn't, math doesn't add up. So 35 and 35 is 70 and 15 and 15 is 30. And there, that's what it is. 35 by 15. And that's how my brain worked. So I wrote down the answer, 35 by 15. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, how'd you get it? I'm like, what do you mean? How'd I get it? Like, that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. But you didn't write it down in the algebraic formula. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I know I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's rough brother i remember the the only equivalent i have of that is when i had to take my gre to get into to my phd program and the very first time i ever took a gre i had to take gre two times because the first time i was it was a a failure but like i sat down for the gre the first time and they asked me to find slope like in math like calculate slope and then, like, I almost passed out. I was, I was <laughs> like, ah, I'm done. Like, there's no, there, I didn't understand slope when I was a, when I was 16. Well, I can't do this now. I really wasn't good at it 25 years ago when I was doing a quarter century ago when I was doing it. Right. <laughs> like, just kill me. <laughs> you know? There's no, there's no way. Well, and I told you what I said to the one, the one instructor about. He was, they were talking about figuring out probabilities, and I was like. I don't think probabilities is really what you want as an electrician. I think you want certainties. Like you don't want to right. say, well, this probably won't burn your house down. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. You know, if I was bad, well, I was a betting man, you know, <laughs> no, no, I, I understand that. 
<laughs> well, I I feel that. I feel that uh, uh, the the math anxiety, the testing anxiety, and and I'm glad that you've gotten through that with your life. Yeah. That, but not a no thanks, <laughs> no thank you. I'm kind of looking forward to taking the classes though, because having the experience that I had building like the patio and the roof. Mm-hmm. Like everything's gonna fit together like Legos now. When I learn how to actually do this shit, yeah. it's gonna be nice. You're gonna be like, you're gonna be like the real deal. That's gonna be cool. No, I'm excited yeah. for you. I, I really am. I'm always excited yeah. for people who can learn something new and and are pumped for stuff like that. And I think that yeah. you've got like you're like got such a great opportunity for that. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I well, uh, it's not German, but you know. <laughs> whatever like to i mean you should see me you know like i i've i've realized you know by learning other languages just how just how dog shit of an education i must have really had because (laughs) because they're they're like they're like now what in what tense is this well that's in the genitive tense everybody's like "Mm -hmm, it's in the genitive tense and i'm like and i'm like i'm like oh okay and i'm like past future present is the (laughs) genitive (laughs) tense you know (laughs) and and i'm like looking at you like the last our last class today we had to learn german subjunctives and i'm like mm-hmm, yeah yeah subjunctives what the fuck is a subjunctive you know? and <laughs> right. I, I was like oh yeah yeah i see now like like i have just no clue or like participles you guys know participles right and everybody's like mm-hmm, participles and i'm like never heard of it well i heard of it in greek uh, but i was like i learned about participles when i took greek and they were like well you also learned about participles when you were in third grade and i was like definitely not (laughs) well you know that's something that's something it's interesting that you bring that up because like i was always really good as a student in english in Mm -hmm. high school like in writing and things like that i was very adept at that i was in the advanced placement classes and that but i didn't i couldn't tell you what a participle was i couldn't tell you how how, i mean i know what a conjunction is but like all that stuff's kind of stuff that you kind of just know innately you know right, what I mean? Right, like, you may not know the, the name language, for it, yeah. but you understand it. It's the same way mm-hmm. I play music, right? Whenever I play music, I just know if it sounds right. I don't know why or what it's called. <laughs> you sure. know, I don't know what I'm doing with the guitar, but I know how to play one sort of, you know. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to this week's topic. So mm-hmm. we had we had a gig. Um at this we had a gig at this campground last week and it was a blast we had a lot of fun uh there was a lot of people there that really liked heavy metal and hard rock and they were they were they were having the ball (laughs) but while where we were the uh we were about i don't know 70 miles not not quite 70 miles away about 30 mile 30 linear miles north or is where is where my town is to where this town was so it was mm-hmm. it was south a grand total of 30 miles right and there's a big difference in the uh in the local wildlife <laughs> <laughs> we have no cicadas in oh yeah that makes town. sense there you go none mm-hmm. um we went down to about where altoona is mm-hmm. and they were filthy with it they were all over the place we got to the campground where we were playing and there were cicadas like everywhere. They're flying on us while we were playing or freaking out my guitar player because he was getting bugs on them. Right. I kept looking down at them and their cute little eyes and everything. And they're right. cute little red demon eyes. 
And after the show, after we got done playing our portion, we were joking about uh, that being like the last of the four horsemen that we needed for this year. Right. Mm. We already, because <laughs> pestilence had arrived. Right. We, we had uh, the Antichrist, which I termed as Trump. <laughs> we had death, which was COVID-19. Mm. We had the um, the pandemic or the the um, the cicadas as pestilence mm-hmm. and um, the capital riots as war. <laughs> sure, that makes so, sense. I was like, oh, that's all four, man. That's it. We're done. And uh, right. one of the people, she's apparently uh, uh, born again. And, and she was like, well, I, I hope that that's true. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, well, that just that means we'll, Jesus is coming back and we'll all be redeemed. And, and then I was like, that's uh, but we'll all be dead. <laughs> yeah, but won't we be dead? And she's yeah. like, no, no, we won't be dead. We'll be redeemed. And I'm like, well, what about the people that that don't believe in Jesus? And then she's like, well, they'll they'll be dead. And I'm like, well, that's not good. and as we were having this conversation i started thinking oh my god these people are in a death cult like Mm. they want the end of the world they want everyone to die because they i mean what's the difference between what this girl's saying and the guys following like the hail bop comment and killing themselves with with Mm. kool-aid like what are you talking about (laughs) why would you look forward to this Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i wanted to ask a theologian is this really a death cult that we're all involved in (laughs) (laughs) um so today i i was on twitter twitter twitter.com which is a mistake and there is a conservative gentleman who likes to engage with a theologian who's on Twitter that I that I also like, and he um, uh, has like is basically a one trick pony. This conservative gentleman, he speaks in full sentences and he's very articulate, and that's about that's his trick. His trick is I can sound very smart while spewing nonsense, and he you know it's David. Glenn. Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh and all that's, of them. <laughs> that's that's Glenn Beck, and and this guy, this guy's you know a conservative person and 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 a kind of a evangelical and you know all this stuff, and um, but, but says things you know often like you know nobody nobody wants to engage with me in good faith conversation and debate and bing bang boom yada yada yada, which is of course garbage. I mean nobody wants to talk to him anyway, but like <laughs> we're all prepared to do that, and today. Um, somebody on, uh, a comment that David Dark, David Dark is a theologian that we're all following and where all this took place on David Dark's, uh, post, somebody made a comment about, um, gender and the family and how, you know, there's a sense in which, uh, like, like really abusive patriarchal, family units, you know, um, are bad for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons why they're bad is because it sort of promotes this sort of hidden culture of sexual abuse, which is pretty obviously true. Like we already yeah. know that, like we already know that's true. And, and uh, this guy took offense to that and was like, well, you know, isn't the family unit a, a biblical mandate? No, like I'll start with, <laughs> it's not. This is a conservative evangelical talking point that he is spewing. And, and everybody begins to engage with him in good faith. Nobody's yelling at him. 
everybody's like, well, Mike, you know, I, I don't know about that. Like, you know, wh where are you getting that? And then Mike offers up Bible verses and then a biblical scholar jumps in and they're like, well, I understand why you're offering up those Bible verses, but those Bible verses don't have anything to do with what you're talking about. You're talking about this political social construct known as the family unit. And these verses are about things like the multitude of humanity or Jesus drawing a parallel between a man and a woman fucking and the church, you know, like it doesn't have anything to do with this have anything to do with what you have in mind. And he's like, and he's like, Oh really? And everybody's like, yeah. And, and basically, <laughs> basically another expert like comes to him after each comment, like a new person will jump in and be like, well, you know, I study what you're saying and I just don't think it's true for these reasons. And, and he's, and he's just getting angrier and angrier and angrier as people are just like, no, Mike, you're wrong. It's just not how it works. And finally, at the end, somebody was like, Mike, I get it. I get it. I grew up in the same type of situation you did. You've been very forthcoming about your upbringing and that your conservative upbringing. I had that same upbringing. And, and it is frustrating when we enter into the real world with real people and we discover that we've been lied to. It's yeah. frustrating, but it's true. And, and then that guy deleted his Twitter and blocked everybody. <laughs> and that was how the ending went. Very, very um, adult thing to do. Very adult thing to do. I think in my ball and going out. Yeah, this is ridiculous. You know, I just want to have a good faith debate in which nobody challenges me and everybody affirms <laughs> everything I've ever, I've ever said, you know. But anyway, I think that um, what you've experienced <laughs> is is that kind with that lady is that kind of brainwashing. So what Mike experiences is Mike experiences it. Mike it is is hitting talking points and is keeping with what I call the script, right? What the problem with evangelical Christianity? There's a million problems, but the main problem is is that it's it's not really a religion and it's not really a theology and it's not really a faith or 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 a way of life. Instead, it's a collection of thinking and talking scripts. And as long as you sort of stick to the script, then you achieve the end result. It's more like algebra, actually. You know, yeah. they kind of understand it as this formula, right? And so, so they've why distilled, is they've distilled holiness and religion into a cake recipe? <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Actually, that's a terrific way of putting it. I have absolutely no problem with conservative religious people. I have no problem right. with it. I'm I'm a I'm conservative on a lot of issues in within my religious tradition. Conservative religious people are not following a script. They right. are engaged in authentic religious faith practice that ha they have hang-ups and non-hang-ups just like everybody else. They are learning and and relearning and and deconstructing and constructing just like everybody else. They're just having to be conservative, and that's that's just what that means. Evangelicals, that's not that's not the case. Any instance of walking away from the script, any instance of breaking from the script, challenging the script, results in the wrong formula, which which results in going to hell or right. <laughs> going to the bad place. And so when somebody says to, to Mike, Mike, the Bible does not give us a clear sense of a God-ordained family unit. And Mike says, yes, it does. Everybody goes, 
No, it doesn't. <laughs> and we know it doesn't for all of these things. And, and because of the way in which Mike is trained in terms of his religion, he has to reject that. Right. Because there is no nuance. There is no ability for him to take that information in and, and, and sort of disseminate it into his faith because that's not the way faith works for an evangelical. Mm-hmm. It sounds like this woman is the same way. And, and the reason I, I have this really long thing, Matt, is because like one of the pages of the evangelical script <laughs> is the end times. You know, <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is one of the formulas. Right. Um, and it is frustrating because, because it is uh, when you when you consult the kind of Christian history on it, it is it is the most frustrating part of Christian history, because a it's it's the parts of the Bible that are the most the parts of the Bible that seem to be talking about the end of time or the end of the world are the most a disputed. Mm-hmm which we can talk about in a little bit more and be wrong. And they're, they're wrong. They're just sort of wrong. Like, mm-hmm. like St. Paul believed that the end was coming in his lifetime yeah. and it didn't, you know, yeah. and, 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 and that's nobody, no biblical scholar, either conservative or liberal or anyone in between who is worth their salt is prepared to deny that. Right. You know, only evangelicals, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the only one they're ready to deny. I, I learned from a, I, one of my one of the biblical scholars that taught me was more conservative than me, and he and he had no problem being like, "Yeah, Paul was wrong. What Paul is saying here is incorrect." You know, like, yeah. he has no problem saying that because it's wrong, and that's so. So the end times become this for for every other part of Christianity. Conversations surrounding the end times um, is when you get to into the most mushy stuff. Right. And that's when you there's a reason why there is very few sentences about the end times in like creedal Christianity. The most we have are things like we affirm that Jesus will return. We don't say what that's going to look like, how that's going to be, you know, what what he's what he's going to do. Well, we Mm -hmm. do say a little bit what he's going to do. And we affirm that when Jesus returns, it will be a return to set things right. What's Jesus going to look like when he returns? I don't know. When's that going to be? I don't fucking know. How is that going to go? No clue. You know, like none of us know. Um, evangelicals sort of ignore that none of us know and say, we know. And then they go and everybody's like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. You know, and then they and then they offer a fan fiction. Then they, they right. sort of offer this made up thing that 150 years ago they sort of invented and it just so happens to coincide with um, you know, the, the, the major big Renaissance of it just so happens to coincide with the cold war. And right. oh, that seems weird, you know, like, like, wow, the forces of evil in this story sound an awful lot like Stalin, you know, and everybody's yeah. like, yeah, weird. Huh? And I'm like, no, it's unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it seems to me like it's the original like QAnon conspiracy, right? Like whenever, whenever, whatever was supposed to happen doesn't happen on the date or time or schedule that it was supposed to happen. We just 
change it a little bit and we continue to believe the same bullshit and we just oh we must have interpreted the signs wrong or something like that mm-hmm. and it's it, it, it never seems to go away and no, nobody ever seems to want to let go of it and it's like it just doesn't make any sense to me it, well, why you'd be wanting the end of the world to begin with is a, is a <laughs> curiosity yeah. to me and furthermore like you're the first person i think that i've spoken to that's ever been in a position of what i would consider theological authority being mm-hmm. a pastor a, a pastor and being a student that it said oh yeah that's wrong it's just wrong like no one's ever said that to me before mm-hmm. right so that's a that's refreshing to hear yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm happy to tell i'm happy to tell the world like yeah it's just wrong the, the funny thing about all of this there, there's a million I, I really could talk about this from 80 angles and we'll cover a few but like one of the things that sort of routinely strikes me as strange about this story, about this script, this part of the evangelical script, is how, because of their sort of hijacking, they remember evangelicals have been hijacked. They were hijacked in the 60s by conservatives, that, that you know, political conservatives. That, that's sort of what happened. Prior to that, there's a really great documentary on Hulu about um, abortion, a, a really fascinating documentary. And uh, we discover, or I discovered, because I wasn't around during this time and didn't know anything about it. I discovered that prior to about the mid seventies, um, abortion was was ultimately uh, uh, whenever a religious person sort of engaged with abortion, um, there was a a heck of a lot more nuance than there is now in terms of from evangelicals, but b quite a few religious organizations sprang up in the sixties in order to help uh, young women procure abortions. Like, like there are religious and theological arguments on, on this side of the equation that were a lot more commonplace about, you know, the protection of women's bodies and, and, and making sure that women who are trapped in situations of, you know, domestic abuse or who are raped or, or whatever had, had uh, access to, you know, things to be able to, to care for themselves. And one of those things was abortion. And, and in this documentary, they interviewed a number of retired clergy who, who were right there, were on the front lines doing that. And essentially what happened in the 70s was that, well, you know, abortion became the thing that conservatives took on to woo evangelicals, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and sort of everything kind of changes. And then that part of the script is created you know, the, the abortion script. The end time script is then adopted and sort of created and given these political edges to it uh, a, a, as fodder for a lot of conservative politics. And wh- what I find so interesting about that is, A, it's crazy, but B, whenever um, uh, evangelicals who are trained to read the script in this way begin to consult the Bible and consult the text that they are taught to read in a certain way to conform to this end time script, they discover that it's actually their leaders that fit all of the things for the Antichrist or like their leaders fit because the Bible is not a fucking right wing book, you know, like at all, you know, (laughs) It's like when uh, I, the only reason I think about this is I just watched a documentary. It's like when uh, 
um, uh, conservative hillbillies uh, claim Stone Cold Steve Austin as their own when the Stone Cold Steve Austin story on TV is just about a, a, a union working class man fighting <laughs> capitalists. Like, like that's right. the story. Like the story <laughs> is Stone Cold Steve Austin is a legitimate redneck who is attempting to throw the yoke of capitalism off of him. Like, and yet it doesn't matter. But, but it's the same kind of a thing. And so, you know, Barack Obama, he's the Antichrist. I don't really know what to tell you, brother. Like, like all of the texts we read, the the two times the Bible talks about the Antichrist, he talks. The Bible talks about him as one who denies the divinity of Jesus. That would be an Antichrist, as far as First John is concerned. And and two, uh, one who fails to see uh, the face of Christ in the face of the poor, which would be Donald Trump. Like. <laughs> Like, or or just about everyone else <laughs> right right exactly like give me a break you know uh and and so i always find that interesting but yeah i'm sorry i'm babbling a little bit i'll just now hit the question is is the whole thing a death cult no i don't think that all of christianity is a death cult i think that um i think that end times conversation and end times theology um the more it hardens the less mushy it gets the less uh um shapeable it can be the less interested it is in everything that's sort of happening and is and and instead hardens into like a script then it becomes very death-like and it becomes about escape right and it becomes about um, uh, uh, attempting to leave this this terrible, you know, this awful world of persecution, and enter into paradise. You know, the more it becomes that, um, I think the scarier it becomes. And and when you pair that script with people who are also concerned with keeping political power, then it gets real scary because then right. you because part of that, like. Like part of that script, Matt, involves like Israel. Like this is one of the ways in which the script is written. The script is written in such a way that conservatives, without really thinking about it, sort of blindly support everything the nation of Israel does, right? right. And, and so there's this sense in which it doesn't matter how many people die. It doesn't matter what war crimes are committed. You know, Israel needs to be treated in this particular way not for any reason other than a made-up fantasy, other than right. that somewhere along the line, this entered into the script. And, and that's just what needs to happen. Right. Um, well, see, um, I sort of, I understand, I understand the allure of the script, right? I understand mm -hmm. uh, the taking the ambiguity out of it is more comforting it's much easier to follow a cake recipe than it is some kind of uh ambiguous structure that that's not really clearly defined yeah and it's much easier to to preach that right so i understand mm -hmm. the comfort level that comes from it uh to an individual who i, I can understand the appeal of it however um the the idea that and, and I think a lot of the, 
the things that frustrate me is whenever we view everything as a metaphor, on the other hand, when we view mm-hmm. everything as a metaphor, it begins to sound a little bit like revisionist history, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever we look at everything Paul says or everything Jesus says or everything the Bible says as a metaphor, I, I ask the fundamental question, well, then why do the author- authors have to be so cryptic, right? right I mean, right. I understand that there was political motivations for keeping your mouth shut at the time because the powers that be were, you know, pagans and not and they would feed you to a lion like i like i get it like i understand Mm -hmm. the ability or the the necessity of some sort of ambiguity but like some of the stuff in revelation some of the stuff we're talking about when we're talking about the four horsemen or we're talking about the beast or we're talking about the mark of the beast or all these all these things that evangelicals seem to identify so readily in everyday life um why do they need to be so cryptic about it Mm-hmm. And, it, and whenever whenever we start explaining it all the time that way, it sounds to me like it's revisionist history, which also sure. harms its credibility. I so, think- like, I understand I understand how um, an evangelical with a script with a cake recipe is going to be a little bit more confident in that because it doesn't change because it's yeah. not. ambiguous. So it's a more comfortable place to be. I just think it's wrong. But on the other hand, I don't want to go so far the other direction where we can just mold things into whatever we want them to be through mm-hmm. revisionist reading and metaphorical understanding of what, what's going on. So how do you square that, my friend? Right, right. So revelation is there, there is even more um, thorniness in the book of Revelation when it comes to the book of Revelation than in some other uh text in the whole bible so i'll I'll do my best to kind of to kind of walk us through this i'll start you've already gone a a good length in just saying well it was wrong because that (laughs) that 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 negates a lot of the arguing right there it it does in a lot of ways (laughs) um uh so the book of revelation was the last book of the bible to be included in the canon of the bible you know when um listeners the very very quick and dirty version of all of this is all of the texts that make up the New Testament um, were in circulation around the church for several hundred years. And those and, and many more. Those and many more texts. But, right. but the texts that make up the New Testament um, were known. It, it wasn't as though once upon a time these texts appeared uh, and, and then the church said, I guess this is what it will be. They didn't find them in a, in a, in a coffee pot buried next to the it, Dead Sea or something. Exactly, exactly. Uh, when the Bible is established, when the, I'll speak about the New Testament because the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is established hundreds and hundreds of years before all of this. When the New Testament is established as the New Testament, um, it is established based on a, a couple of criteria. And one of the main criteria is um, in terms of the communities, the Christian communities that sort of spring up and are affirmed, uh, that, that spring up and affirm the text of the New Testament. So um, we have four gospel accounts in the New Testament. And that's up because four is a magic number. Or because, um, you know, these four gospel accounts are particularly well written. Any person who studies Greek can tell you that the Greek in the gospel of Mark was either written by a, by a six-year-old or by somebody <laughs> who, 
who uh, who in which Greek was their third language. You know, like like that, like the Greek of the Gospel of Mark is not sophisticated Greek. It was not sophisticatedly written. In other re- ways, it's very sophisticated, just not in terms of its language mastery. But right. <laughs> but uh, whereas the Greek in the Gospel, which is something Luke, you would recognize if you would learn like Greek in a month. That's true. That's true. I don't know if you'd recognize me learning a month. I learned Greek in two months. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke, by contrast, has very sophisticated Greek. The grammar is very sophisticated. The the the, the construct, the construction is very sophisticated, and and stuff like that. But we have four Gospels, essentially for 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 reason, for many reasons. But one of the main reasons why the church has decided that these four gospels are going to be the four gospels is because the most um, Christian communities affirm that these are the four gospels that they like. So they were the best sellers. In, in many ways. Yes. But, but remember these are, you know, these are the best sellers in terms of uh, we need to remember what comes first. What comes first is the church and then the God and then the Bible. Right. And so this is, we, we tend to, most Americans tend to imagine that churches spring up around Bibles. Like the Bible is, is first and then the church come. That's just not what happens. The, right. the church is several hundreds of years old before the, the Bible as we know it exists. And so um, Christian communities are formed. And from their experience as Christian communities who have learned about the gospel through word of mouth, um, who are who are hopefully, and, and I have faith in this, who are hopefully listening to the movement of God's spirit and who are, who are forming these communities, um, will then encounter these texts and, and say, there is deep truth in these texts. These texts, yes, we, we agree, bing, bang, boom, you know, whatever. That's how these books and, and letters from Paul and everything sort of become the New Testament. It, the, most, the most Christian communities affirm that, that they found these texts authoritative. There are other reasons. You know, there, there are other theological reasons. Like, like it, it really doesn't matter if 25 churches really like the Gospel of Thomas mm-hmm. because the Gospel of John, Mark, Luke, and Matthew pretty much discredit the gospel of Thomas, right. you know, like, like, right. And that's, that's the other point I was going to make is they don't, there are differences between them, but there's not like blatant outright contradictions. Between them. Exactly. Are there sort of narrative contradictions in the gospels? Hell yeah. Hmm. Are, are, is Jesus portrayed in different ways in each of the gospels? Yes. But is Jesus portrayed in different ways, in each of the gospels to the point where we're looking at a fundamentally different human being? No. Like, right. Like you, you, you have to be very ungenerous to come to that conclusion. Um, this is why revelation is a giant pain in the ass because <laughs> revelation was the biggest fight. Right. In the council that sort of decides on the Bible, there were fewer churches that, that thought revelation was cool than other parts of the of the new testament like like gregory of nyssa famously fucking hated revelation gregory of nyssa was like uh 
I'm sorry. I don't care about some random doofus's dream journal. Like, <laughs> right? You know? Like, I don't give a fuck about that. I don't want it in in it. And and there are a lot of reasons for why it exists, right? There's a lot of reasons for why it's in the New Testament. One of the reasons is um, it's it's one of the only texts of the New Testament there that whose main purpose is to talk about um, the 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 full salvation of all the earth you know and the parts of the book of revelation that i really like tend to deal with those questions the book of tend to deal with that question the book of revelation but they're not but they're not necessarily delving into prophecy though no it's not prophecy it's not prophecy that's going to be that's the next thing i'm going to talk about really quickly like okay um and so, so keep that. In, so that's the first thing to keep in mind, listeners. The Book of Revelation is not well liked in the same way that these other texts in the New Testament are well liked. There, there's dissension, in particular, when it comes to this book. Um, here's the second thing. The second thing is, of all the books in the New Testament, the Book of Revelation is written the worst. <laughs> it just is. It just is like like it is it is the hardest to translate because there are moments in the book of Revelation where anybody who knows Greek like knows Greek way better than I than I do will look at that sentence and say this sentence does not make sense you know (laughs) this this I don't know what any of this means you know like and so any English translation of the book of Revelation is anywhere between like. 65 and 75 percent correct at any given moment because yeah. there are sentences in the book of revelation that are like incomplete that don't like have a subject and so like we try to ha- make so it what make you're sense. saying is what you're saying is there's a lot of frog dna in that dinosaur there's a lot of frog dna <laughs> in that exactly exactly <laughs> um and and in my opinion the best translations of the book of revelation are translations in which they don't attempt to lost it they don't attempt to make it into good english that we understand and instead they just say this is just what it says and they're like but this but a lot of this is nonsense yeah a lot of this is nonsense you know (laughs) like it's it's hard now the parts that aren't nonsense much of it i think is very beautiful you know and behold i saw that the presence of god was in everything and god will wipe away all tears and there will be no more death wow, that's great. You know, like <laughs> what a great moment, you know, or, or, uh, and there are other things too that, that have been interpreted to, to mean a lot of things. Here's the last thing that I'll say about the last thing that I'll say about this, the book of revelation from a genre perspective, it, it's, it's a, you make a comment about, you know, which I agree with about, you don't just want to lean on a metaphorical translation for everything. Because right. then it discredits everything. I, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. Biblical interpretation is a very weird dance that requires eight or nine different sort of ways of, of working with it in order to, to make it to help make it helpful while also being true to the text. The book of Revelation is a piece of apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature is a kind of genre. It's right. a way of writing. Uh, the, the Bible has other examples of apocalyptic literature in the old testament the book of daniel is a piece of apocalyptic literature um it uses the same kinds of literary devices that the book of revelation does um 
there is a couple of chapters in the book of Isaiah that use apocaly that, that are apocalyptic literature. Um, there's a couple of moments in the Gospel of Mark that that uh, sort of take a break from from a gospel genre and sort of enter into weird apocalyptic world. And apocalyptic yeah, so like it's like Frank Miller shows up and writes a couple of pages for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's a genre, like like right. it, it's not a it, it's not a uh, you know it. it and be, I'm going to try to say what I mean. Because it's a genre, it follows certain genre-specific rules. It follows certain genre-specific ways of doing things. It's, why, it's one of the reasons why I think anybody who approaches the first two or three chapters of Genesis as if it's a piece of scientific proof for God creating heaven and earth would be totally out like you've misunderstood entirely that's not the genre of this text it right. would be the equivalent of reading a, a a piece of poetry about the forest and reading it and assigning it in a biology class as a, a literature about forestry like it's not it's not about that it, it's a it's a poem you know right. <laughs> that, that follows its own set of, of genres and its own set of, of things. And because that's true about the book of Revelation, um, it means a few things. One, it means that um, the symbolism of the book of Revelation has a uh, certain subjects. For example, we know that 666, we know this, we already know this, we know that 666 uh, means the emperor Nero. We already know that. We, we know that's what it means. There is no, there is no uh, ambiguity. The only people who think it isn't that are evangelicals who know, who say, no, that can't be it. That can't be it. You know, <laughs> no, it is. We know it's true. Um, well, how do you know that? Let me, let me interject. How, how is that known? I don't, I don't understand the correlation. I, I cannot explain it because I am not an expert. <laughs> and so I'm not even going to try. Okay. But what I can say is that is is that we know is that the scholars who are who study apocalyptic literature and who study the book of Revelation know that because of the role of numbers in apocalyptic literature. Okay. Numbers play a particular role in this genre. And one of the roles that they play in this genre are to um, sort of disguise themselves as names right or disguise right. themselves so as... there is a bible film. well and this leads me to my last <laughs> comment about this this is what's frustrating this is i'm just being a jerk is... now <laughs> no you don't have to be because it's not a bad comment this is why this is frustrating that because because of of the way this book is written and all the things i said before this there are things about the book of revelation that we just don't know what they mean. We just yeah. don't. We just don't know what they mean. That doesn't mean that there wasn't a time when somebody knew what they meant. Right. Like, I, I think that um, apocalyptic literature is written for a particular community. A particular community always has the key to understanding the apocalyptic literature. Uh, not because they're super smart or because they have a spiritual connection, but because it's sort of written in um, inside joke form. 
right? right. <laughs> and and so it's written. Well, to it's meant genius. for a particular audience, right? So exactly. Like, I mean, I understand that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know how the Easter Island heads got there, but the people that put them there knew how they got there. Right? <laughs> they put them there. Exactly. And so, because that's true about the Book of Revelation, putting it in the New Testament becomes very tricky more tricky than any of the other new testament books because now we have this book that has a very specific time and place like a very specific time and place in mind for a very specific audience that we do not fit in anymore right (laughs) you know there's a sense in which we can fit in a little bit like there's a sense in which we can reconstruct certain things and wrap our brains around it in certain ways and I think that many of my favorite interpreters of the book of Revelation do that well. There's a really great uh, commentary on the book of Revelation by a guy named Brian Blunt, uh, who, who does a commentary on the book of Revelation, a kind of a theological, social reading of the book of Revelation from the perspective of black liberation. And you know what? From a social historical critical method standpoint, he's not that far off. We know that the original community of the book of revelation was probably an oppressed community it was probably a community of people who 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 were poor or vulnerable or impoverished we already know that and so for brian blunt to do this book this 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 sort of figurative reading in which the community who is hearing these words is the is a racially marginalized community is not is is much closer to the truth than your friend that was that was you know <laughs> talking nonsense at, at the show right like right. i wish often that revelation was not in the bible um i wish it was a an an, an additional thing like in the apocrypha well aren't right? there other books like aren't doesn't the, the Roman Catholic Bible have extra books in it too? Sort of. There, there is what we call the Apocrypha, which are texts that um, fit many of the criteria. One of the criteria to make it into the New Testament uh, is, is an authorship, is a, uh, not an authorship, is a, like, like, a, like a time frame criteria, right? Right. So like we know that the Gospel of Mark was probably written in around 60 AD. We, mm-hmm. we, we know that we're pretty confident about that. If Mark would have been written in 160 AD, we'd be like, no, <laughs> right. sorry, that's not included. It's not, you know, like we, we don't take that. Uh, the apocryphal books are sort of ambiguous. And because they're a little too ambiguous about things like when they were written or some of their content or stuff like that, uh, for a long time, the church, uh, sort of in general, kind of had these books sort of off to the side as being worthy of study, as being worthy of looking at. But we're not. They were really, the DLC of the Bible. They were the DLC, right? But <laughs> but they weren't authoritative in the same way, right? Not in the same way. And then at the Protestant Reformation happened, and uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, and all on all those those but those those biddies. They, they took it upon themselves to be like, oh, good, we can finally just, I don't like any of that. And then Martin Luther was like, yeah, we'll get rid of the book of James, too. And everybody's like, no, we're not going to get rid of the book of James. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so so I wish that the book of Revelation was was in that. Because then, like, you know, at least evangelicals wouldn't have it because evangelicals don't know or care about anything in the Apocrypha. And yeah, then, but then we wouldn't have Iron Maiden either. I mean that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. That we, we would lose we that but even that's what I mean, man. Like and so then that becomes then that becomes the trickiest part, right? Revelation is always the big argument in seminary. You always, if you go to seminary, you will always at one point have an argument about the book of Revelation because none of everything I just said to you and to yeah. the podcast world is not secret knowledge. It, right. It's really not. It's just knowledge that's buried by a ton of bullshit. Right. You know, there's all this bullshit going around and it's hard to find. It's harder to find this stuff. It's not that hard if you just ask a professor of the Bible from you know which is what from, i'm doing <laughs> from a random university right then they'll then they'll tell you they'll be like yeah this is this is the answer um but because you will always have this fight and then inevitably you, you will go well what do we lose if we just throw it out well unfortunately we lose a lot like unfortunately yeah. we lose we lose a lot of Deeply beautiful things, you know, if, if we throw we it lose out. Dante's Inferno, we lose Dungeons and Dragons, we lose <laughs> we, Iron Maiden, we, we lose a lot lose, of cool shit. We do lose those very important things, and I'm not kidding. Like those are extremely important to me, and we do lose them. But but we also lose like certain visions of of you know Christ, right? We lose we lose an important vision of Christ as a liberator. Christ is a liberator in the Gospels, but before Christ is a liberator in the Gospels, he's the crucified. He's he's the one who's who's murdered. He's he's not he's not a he's not the one. He is the one who saves, but he's but he's the one who who saves by dying too, you know. And and right. then and then is resurrected. And there's deep beauty and important things in that. But it's but it's in the Book of Revelation and in some of the letters of Paul. That that we see Jesus, you know, portrayed as, um, you know, perhaps the cross uh, was not my final form, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, you laugh, but like, it makes sense, right? You know, you you, well, you lose. It sort of makes sense, but like, like I said, like like you said earlier about the revelation being written for a very specific audience. I think the same can be said about the Bible in its entirety. I mean, you're right. That was all written for a very specific audience. And here we are 2000 years later trying to cherry pick what we want out of it. You know, mm. if if Jesus really is coming back, I think he needs to come back and, and set his book straight first. But the problem is, if he did come back today in today's society, the way the world works now, he'd be loaded up with Thorazine and locked in a, in a prison somewhere. You're <laughs> probably right. You're so, probably right. Yeah. The I one of the most important um new testament classes i have ever taken like like days of class was i took a class on the on the book of romans which is a really good class because the book of romans is a really cool book uh good old saint paul um and my professor dr dr works and the very first day of class reminded us you know that that the book of romans is written to the church in rome which means that it's probably full of that it's not probably we know it is we know it is full of gentiles it's full of non-jewish people mm -hmm. who before learning about jesus of nazareth were you know 
lighting a candle for Apollo, you know, like who, who were, <laughs> who were just doing what they always do. Right. And, uh, and Dr. Works was like, but now we are so removed from this that like, we don't really understand um, just how wild the idea that there could be Roman Christians is because the message of Jesus. Yeah. And remember there are no gospels at this point, you know, like, like Paul probably wrote the book of Romans in 55 AD. We think the gospel of Mark was probably written in like 60 AD. Like, like, no, nobody's reading a, a kind of a standard account of Jesus. People are hearing about the, the story of Jesus. And, and she's like, think about what the story of Jesus is. You know, a, a, a Roman colonial, somebody whose land and people are colonized by Rome, who, are, who um, it, claims to not only be the, the savior, the one who saves the world, but the son of God, not any of your gods, <laughs> right? But, but the God of the people that you are colonial, uh, you are colonizing. And this God is actually the only real God. And as, and this Jesus fellow has come to save you. Mm -hmm. If you just accept it. And, and Dr. Works is like, that is the equivalent. And, and, and then she said, but remember, this happens around the around the time that that you know Paul is writing. This happens twenty five years ago, right? <laughs> you know, and and she's like, and she's like, this would be the equivalent of um, us in the United States hearing that sometime in the nineties, a Puerto Rican uh, uh, laborer was killed by the government and because he died we are now reconciled to god <laughs> right would you believe that and <laughs> and we were all like we were all like no and she's like yeah isn't it crazy that somebody did <laughs> and that paul is writing to them now like like this is this is an absolutely bananas thing to hear about right um and and because we live in that post-Christian world, like we don't realize how bananas it is. Yeah. And I, but, and know, I think, yeah. You know, Go with, with, uh, with that kind of, with that kind of perspective on it though, it, it seems to me a little bit more obvious how um, people can be, can people can believe in God as being uh, one of those kind of pagan entities. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if that's your audience, right, if that's your audience and you're used to like Zeus throwing lightning bolts and that's your perception of power, that's your perception of God. Even if you change your belief system, that's still kind of in you. Right. Yeah, to sure. look for God to behave in those certain ways and for those uh, personalities or those uh, perceptions to be put onto the Christian God, mm -hmm. it seems to make a little because. I, I honestly, I think that whenever an evangelical talks about God being all powerful and almighty, they're, they're talking about Zeus or they're talking oh, about I agree. something like that. Uh, and I can see now a little better how that kind of filtered in. Yes, you will. Yes. No, I think I think that the church 
is constantly, since its inception, um, is constantly fighting against that impulse. You know, is constantly fighting. It, it's called the the. Uh, Martin Luther actually sort of coins this term, but he's not really the first to like think in these ways. Martin Luther coins the the terms the the theolo theologia gloria and the theologia crucius, and which means a theology of glory and the theology of the cross. And for Martin Luther, he thinks that the history of Christianity is permeated by um, the church adopting the theology of glory, which is right. to say, which is to say this idea that that God, what God is, what we see in, in God and in the gospel and in all of these things, is that God is the biggest and strongest and mightiest and 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 richest and good lookingest and and right. the prosperous one and all of this stuff. And and we begin to, to craft our world and our ethics and our and our lives around this thing and this is a very pagan notion like this is a notion that that makes sense to pagans this is why there's such a strong hierarchy in pagan society this is why there are people who aren't really people in pagan society because the because only good-looking people are godly you right. know only <laughs> only all and all this stuff and martin luther's like but Christianity is a theology, is a theologia crucius, theology of the cross. And we say that, that the one true God is most real in the face of the crucified carpenter. Right. That's where God is. God is actually less real in the face of Pontius Pilate. Right. And, and, and Martin Luther was really whacked out in a, for a lot of reasons but I think he gets this dead right. I think he's, I think he's completely correct. Like the church is constantly besieged by the theologia Gloria and, and it often gives in. Right. Um, but there's this thin tradition of Christians from all time and space, you know, and I mean that like there's this thin tradition of Christians from the beginning till now who insist, no, you know, like, no, when we read the gospel, when we encounter God, when we listen to the movement of God's spirit, we know that God is most God. God is most visible in the face of the unlovely and that it might be the loveliest faces that cover God the most. Right. Um, ooh, if that's right. true, if that's true, then then everything is fucked. You know, <laughs> everything you're doing is fucked. Like if that's true, then the first world is actually the third world. Right. And the third world is actually the first world. And it sounds an awful lot like what Jesus says about well, the last being it, first. It sure is. But it's also, I understand why it's so hard for people in the first world to accept, yeah. especially if you come from a tradition of, of paganism. Mm -hmm. um, which even though we're 2000 years past it, we, we, that, that those remnants still remain, you know, yep. when you, and you try to, you try to square when you use language, like all powerful, almighty, all knowing, omnipotent, and you try mm -hmm. to square that with getting tacked to a tree by a Roman soldier, that can't happen. That can't have happened to the almighty, the all powerful, the person that could, he could like flip things over with a, with a, with a, with a, 
speaking his word. He can bring things into being. He can snap his fingers and come down off that cross if he wants to. That's not God, <laughs> right? Right. That's that's Zeus. Like you're talking about Zeus at that point, and I think it's very easy for people to to uh, intermix them. It's the same, mm-hmm. it, but it, it's it's human nature, right? It's the same reason why you know uh, Lee Harvey Oswald couldn't have acted alone when he killed John Kennedy because John Kennedy's this great figure. He's the president of the United States. It would be impossible for some loser with a rifle to right. end that, right? It's the same mentality. So I understand, I, without endorsing it, I understand how it can be portrayed that way in evangelical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can too and and you didn't ask this question but I, i'll answer it my reading of the book of revelation when i sit and, and read it and try to understand it sort of for myself i see the book of revelation part of the role of apocalyptic literature is to unveil the truth that's what apocalypse means the unveiling right. and and so Apocalyptic literature present apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature. The rules of it are: we use this sort of bonkers language and this sort of good versus evil fighting stuff to reveal the truth of what's really happening underneath the veil. Right. And so, in um, and the Book of Revelation is a very political book in this way, and so. Rome understands itself as a force for good and order and godliness. It does, and yeah. it did. Well, the so Pax did the Romana. Nazis. Like everybody so, that's so in did the Nazis. So, so the Nazis. <laughs> but in the book of Revelation, Rome is the great beast. Right. No, the truth <laughs> under the veil. <laughs> and and so, like for me, when I interpret Revelation, I try to I try to take all of that, everything that we know to be true. From the gospels and i try to to sort of put it in that sort of invert in the way in the inverted image that revelation has it and so jesus's return is this mighty return on horseback now does that mean that you know that that jesus's return will be mighty and on horseback no i actually think it means that jesus is going to return the way he came the first time right but the truth what is under the veil of that of, of all of that is Jesus returns as a liberator and that liberation looks like how it looked the first time. Right. But the truth is in the, using these kind of stark images of, of sort of strength. And, and the problem is, is that, is that the, the nuance is lost on us right. and we, and we go, yeah, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to use the sword. He's going to kill people. Boom. Yeah. You got it. But I'm that's like, tantamount. No. That's tantamount to watching Frank Miller's 300 and thinking that that's how the Battle of Thermopylae went, right? right? Like that's mm-hmm. it's a it's a artistic retelling or an artistic uh, uh, interpretation of an event without being a, a documentary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I exactly. and I think it's really helpful to to read the Bible and consciously at the at the front of your mind at the beginning of your forethought extract the zeus out of it to understand it better Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you've got to consciously not allow that bullshit that you've been trained to with these notions of what power is and what what justice is and what strength is you have to not allow that to afflict 
your reading of the Bible or you're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and friends, you know, who are listening, like, like this is, this is the, the sort of, when Matt will occasionally talk about how, how he doesn't know, like if he's all in on this kind of stuff. And I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I, I also (laughs) struggle. I just, I'm just in a little deeper than he is. Um, Like, I think it's because I think Matt, I think it's because you see, I think what's at stake. Well, like, like there is a sense in which Jesus means what he says when he says things like sell all that you have and give to the poor, you know, or, or one of my favorite little moments in the gospel of Luke is, is when, um, the disciples ask Jesus, he's like, Hey, um, you know, when you come into glory, uh, you know, when, when, when we're all, when we're all surrounded by the strength of the divine and all that great stuff, can I be at your right and at your left? Like, can I be there? And, and the gospel of Mark does some really cool stuff with that too. But, but Jesus says, but Jesus's response is in the gospel of Luke is, uh, you know, it's the pagans that demand things like that yeah you know it's it's the it's the pagans who lord it over you right um but but um but yet i am i not your lord and they go of course you're our lord he goes yet i'm among you as one who serves right (laughs) you know so so like put it together (laughs) you know like I of course am your Lord, but but here I am as the servant, yeah. not as not as the one who you know demands all this stuff. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, um, uh, James and John ask him. They're like, Jesus, when you come into when you come into glory, can I be seated at your right and my brother seated at your left? And and Jesus' response to the Gospel of Mark is like, you don't even have the first fucking clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and then and then like how Mark depicts Jesus's crucifixion is Mark uses the same grammar construction of one on your right and one at your left. Like it's this, it's like in a perfect extraction, right. it's the perfect same grammar construction to describe the two thieves that are crucified with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus was crucified and there was a thief, one at his right and one at his left, meaning for the gospel of Mark that Jesus has come into glory. Right. You know, the crucifixion is Jesus coming into glory and uh and and i'm like yeah mark's got it you know yeah. <laughs> the author of mark gets it it's complicated brother like i i think that listeners i think that this kind of stuff is this this is, this is why it's not a formula you know this is why um uh christian faith and the christian life is is a is a hard life it's it's a life that that makes demands and and it's also a, and it's also the reason why I am you know somebody who's really interested in Christianity and politics and Christianity and public life because you know following Christ in these ways means that we have to think about the way we construct society in fundamentally different ways and that and it means that if if the third world is actually the first world. Then, then maybe constructing a society in which we try to have as much wealth as possible is a what's killing us, and b is might be something that will kill us in the afterlife. <laughs> I don't know, but but yeah, it's it's tough. It's complicated. It's complicated. 
Well, I appreciate your explanation. That, that, no, that's no. helpful to me. Um, I think I think getting rid of of the Thor mentality and the Zeus mentality is one of the one of the first nets I got to drop to do this right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And that's a tough one because it's so ingrained. You know, right. it's it's so it, it it's one of the first things we learn. And it's why, like, I'm really trying with Adre. I really am. But it's hard. Like, you know, Adre, Adre here's whenever I try to tell Adre about God whenever she asks or, you know, whatever. And, 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 I, and I do my best to, to think about the way in which I, to, to not use the kind of colloquial things we, we were sort of by proxy taught to use, you know. Right. When I understand when somebody says, of a loved one who died, you know, it must be their time. Hey, what are you talking about? Like, like that's, that's, that's Zeus God talk, right? Right. That, that, that's <laughs> Zeus God talk that says, you know, that, that has in mind that God uh, has a little ledger. Right. And it's like, Oh, it's time to call such and such home. Oh, it's time to kill such and such. And the life is over. No, man, that, that's not how that works. Like, no, but it's a comfort to the person that's alive. That's why it's, it's true. there. It's yeah. true. That's why we have funerals. It's not for the dead guys. You know, yeah, well, so a lot of things are done for our own sanity and our own uh, mm. compassion towards one another. But we have to, we have to not conflate them with the word of God. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Jesus, and that would be Jesus, guys. Jesus is God's <laughs> word. The Bible actually says so, and I will fight. I'll fight anybody on this. But yeah, this was good. Can with I wrap this up? Yes, with please do it. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan. We will see you next time.